You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. We are now moving into our second month since the President declared a national emergency on March 13th. Nationally, we have experienced nearly 760,000 infections, and over 40,000 Americans have died from the coronavirus. Many courts have been closed for over a month. As an interesting sidelight, this may be the first truly widespread experiment ever conducted with court employees teleworking. How have court staff fared during this time? How have courts fared? And now, only recently... Spurred by protests, many states are opening back up, or at least considering it. Are courts looking to reopen? I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. Our focus continues to be on how courts are coping with the coronavirus crisis. Today, we have a new guest joining our panel. Welcome to Dorothy Howell, Division Manager with Probation for the Superior Court in East Orange, which is part of Newark, New Jersey. Also with us today are Zanelle Brown, Court Administrator in Detroit, Michigan, Angie Van Skoik, Court Administrator in Breckenridge, Colorado, Mike Rowdy, Court Executive Officer in San Diego, California, Mark Weinberg, Court Administrator in Daytona Beach, Florida, Liz Rambo, Trial Court Administrator in Eugene, Oregon, and Rick Pierce with the Pennsylvania Administrative Office of the Courts. Welcome to all of you, and thanks for joining today's podcast. I'd like to start by asking about conditions in your court. Do you have employees who have been infected with the coronavirus? Dorothy, how about your court in New Jersey? I have been notified by several employees that report they've tested positive for the coronavirus. However, that number is less than 5% of the 230 employees in the probation division. No one in the division has lost their life as a result of the coronavirus. I am both concerned for my staff as well as grateful that no one in the division has lost their life as a result of the coronavirus. Zanelle, tell us about the staff in your court in Detroit. So we have definitely been impacted. We have had staff who have been diagnosed. Also, sadly, we've lost a couple of staff members to the virus as well. Ms. Dorothy was saying that a lot of the cases that come across have been where our sheriffs or our law enforcement people that have been diagnosed, and some of them have passed away as well. One of the big efforts have been to make sure that law enforcement can actually have some type of access to testing to get early results as well. So we're definitely impacted in coping with the losses. Mike, what's the situation with your court in San Diego? Well, fortunately, at this point, we've had no court employees who've tested positive. We've had family members of court employees who've tested positive, and of course, they're being quarantined in the process. We've had a couple of our sheriff's deputy bailiffs also test positive, a number of deputies in the jail system, but none of that has spilled over to the courts. I will note that we had one respondent in a civil matter who appeared on our last open day, March 16th. Uh, in a civil case and subsequently tested positive and has since passed away. In that scenario, we went through and made sure that the attorneys, the judge, and the court staff who were 
in that hearing, also we were notified and there does not appear to have been any spread beyond that single respondent. And Rick, tell us about infections in the Pennsylvania courts. We've had similar experiences to what the others are stating. Uh, some court stakeholders have tested positive, and that's going back at the beginning, probably the first half of the month of March. We had some uh, court-related offices that had employees test positive, and that has been the mainstay and currently uh, is ongoing. Now let me ask each of you, what has been your court's experience with teleworking? Is your court allowing employees to telework from home? What is the percentage of managers and supervisors teleworking versus the percentage of line staff? And how long have your staff been out? Rick, what are the courts in Pennsylvania doing? Yes, we distributed new laptops to all the district court administrators, and we started that process about six to nine months ago. Uh, We determined that every judicial district, and we have 60 of them in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, would be given the opportunity to receive a laptop from the administrative office, and we have done that for years. Some administrators who have owned their own laptop, or if if it's per county provided or a personal laptop, may choose to give it to either another state-level court administrator, generally a deputy administrator within that judicial district, or they could return them to the AOC, but they have kept them and handed them to a deputy administrator. Angie, how's it been for you teleworking in Breckenridge? You know, teleworking since uh, mid-March, I had a a laptop that realized it didn't allow me all the capabilities, so I ended up taking my actual desktop computer home and uh, using that to work from home. So we have like a spare computer at the office that I can get into to do what I need to when I happen to go in, but otherwise I have full functionality here from home. It's been uh, relatively easy uh, to telecommute. I think the hardest thing is I'm just dealing with the fact that I'm still getting mail. Uh, So I have to go in at least once a week to be able to see what mail has come in. Um, People are still paying by like check and money order. Uh, So having to process that, um, which, you know, I don't want them mailing to me at home. But otherwise, it's been working fairly well. But we also haven't had like a typical court docket because everything got rescheduled and pushed out to June and July. Uh, so depending on you know how things go, I don't know uh, really what our plans are moving forward because uh, I think right now you know we'll still have to do telecommuting to maintain social distancing in the office if they happen to open up town hall. So we've uh, started discussions about that right now too. Mark, what's the situation with staff in your court in Daytona Beach? Well, I'd like to preface my remarks by saying we we went from a situation where we had a relatively few number of people teleworking and were doing so at their request to a situation now where virtually everybody is telecommuting at the court's insistence. So virtually everyone is teleworking at least one day a week here in our jurisdiction, but I think the same is true throughout the state of Florida. So are staff coming into the courthouse the other four days a week? Um, I think it varies by jurisdiction and by classification. Some people are coming in more often, but I think for the, for the most part, everyone is spending the majority of their time at home. What kind of leave are staff required to take? Sick leave or emergency leave? I think it depends, again, by jurisdiction and, and what is being accomplished. Most people are, in fact, working from home, so it does count as hours work. I think in the rare circumstance where they're not, then it's counted as leave. 
Zanel, what's going on with your court? Well, we had in our collective bargaining agreements the provision for teleworking. And right now, since it was already there, we're having discussions with the unions about what classifications can do that, what needs to be done. We're continuing to work under our Supreme Court order where we're expanding the number of people who are actually working remotely. So we definitely got the question about, you know, is there hazard pay, that type of thing. But that is not part of what's being offered by our funding unit, so we can't pass that on. So a lot of conversations with the union is is where we are right now. So do you have employees who are out who are not teleworking? We do have some people who are out who are not teleworking. How do they have to log their time away from the office? Our county exec called it a paid furlough. So whether you're working remotely or you're not working at all, everybody's being paid for the 80 hours within the pay period. Before we join back in, Vanel, do you work in the court that I saw the picture of the judge that matches his mask to the outfit that he's wearing? Yes, you saw our our, um, judge, Craig Strong. That is awesome. (laughs) Very colorful and stylish. Liz, how about your staff in your court in Eugene, Oregon? We have probably an equal number of staff and managers teleworking. We are allowing people to work from home. The challenge is that we don't necessarily have enough work at this point to keep everyone working from home. A lot of people are home on some of the federal leaves, and that's helped us to balance the pay because in Oregon, We do not have a paid furlough. So people have been out teleworking since uh, mid-March or more recently, depending on the provision of equipment. But we have a, a mix of people both in the workplace doing social distancing and doing those frontline essential business pieces that are still in operation here. And we have people teleworking. We have every mix of everything here in Lane County. You have some people doing part-time telework and part-time work part-time leave and part-time work, really depending on the situation of the job duties and the person's needs. Dorothy, how about probation in New Jersey? Well, the New Jersey Administrative Office of the Court has an alternate work policy that includes a provision for working remotely. On March 18th, I was directed by my trial court administrator to begin the process of equipping staff to work remotely. As of today, more than 90% of the probation division staff is working remotely. However, the division continues to provide supervision to probationers in the community via curbside monitoring. Most managers and supervisors are on a split schedule that includes reporting to the office and working from home. I would estimate that of the 844 employees in the county, 90% are working remotely in some fashion. We begin this process on March the 19th with a modified schedule that greatly reduced the number of litigants reporting to the courts, as well as staff working in the office. Once the courts and the office staffs were equipped to operate remotely, we began the use of virtual hearings and telephonic reporting. The probation division's response to distancing was prompt for the protection of our clients, litigants, and staff. Most of the staff began working remotely on March 25th which is about five weeks tomorrow. However, a small number of employees rotate reporting to the office to address administrative functions, which includes processing and distribution of mail 
and filing court violation. Mike, are staff in San Diego teleworking? We have, Peter, just a very small number of staff, primarily the administrative side of the house, that are, are teleworking at this point. We have a pretty tight shutdown. We're only doing a few now video remote hearings. Last week, we opened up mental health certification hearings that we do in the jail and in our psychiatric facilities around the county. Those uh, hearing officers are now working from home, conducting the hearings actually telephonically. Beyond this, it becomes a point of negotiations with our unions. We don't currently have telework or telecommuting in our agreements, and that's something that both sides are interested in. So we're beginning that conversation. And then as we come out of this, it's very clear to us that there's no way we can really adequately reopen when we have so many people that are going to be coming into the courthouse. So we're looking at pushing as much as possible. And when I say as much as possible, probably 200 to 300 staff members, counselors, evaluators, family law facilitators, self-help centers to begin connecting them for telework. So we've just gone out with a survey to all of our employees to assess their capabilities at home, broadband internet connections, uh, equipment, as we begin to think about reopening in a telecommute environment. What's the situation with line staff like counter clerks? Are they out of the office and how do they log their time away? Yes, they are out. They're out under the same provisions we used during the wildfires here in San Diego in 2007, which is essentially that the closure is beyond their control. It's not something that they're responsible for. And as such, they're on a miscellaneous administrative leave and they're being paid. Those few employees, and in our court, we have about 30 to 50 employees coming in each day out of a workforce of about 1,300. So it's a very small percentage. To, to do the work that we need to do, the emergency restraining orders, the emergency hearings. But the folks that are at home are basically being paid miscellaneous leave at this point, and we'll actually be looking at what the state of California, as we're a state-funded entity, will be doing with state workers as we go forward. Zanel, now there has been increasing pressure in Michigan to reopen. Are you under pressure to fully reopen the court? So there definitely was a protest this weekend up at the state capitol. People who are in favor of reopening. That has not been the governor's plan. We're still on our emergency order till the end of this month. Our, our Supreme Court, as well as our local court, is following that lead there. So we're not under pressure to reopen. What I will say is that we are basically trying to figure out how to expand remote services. So we don't necessarily want more people on site. We probably will have to bring a few more because there is a lot of paper. As someone had mentioned previously, there's a lot of mail to be handled, but we do want to see what other services we can offer remotely. We're bringing up our Zoom pretty good, doing a lot of remote meetings, and so we'll see where we're at. But no, I do not feel like we're under pressure to fully reopen. Mark, what are the plans for your court? Uh, well, we're taking our lead from the Chief Justice of the state of Florida, and he, if he has not already, will soon be convening a, a task force to talk about issues related to reopening. Uh, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, we, we're right now in our mission essential services mode through the month of May. So we're talking about a, a process to reopen starting uh, beginning of June. Rick, you said that the Pennsylvania AOC had distributed laptops to allow employees to work from home. 
Have you had to adjust the priorities of who gets a laptop since the crisis began? No, in the sense that every state-level employee, the, the district court administrator, I should say, have all received one. And that was done for a variety of good reasons, and that has not changed. So we have had a significant participation and access. Now, I will say with that, many of the court administrators, generally on a rotation basis, but many of them are still going in as part of that skeletal staff into the courts because we are doing for the mission critical essential functions, they are going in to serve with the judges that are present for that. So in a sense, there are, there's other uses, I guess, for, for telework, but the administrators, many of them are actually working directly in the offices. Dorothy, you were distributing laptops in East Orange, New Jersey. Did you have enough to go around? No, we had a limited number of laptops, but eventually we opted to permit staff to sign equipment agreements for the use of the judiciary issues desktops at home. Angie, now you've been working from home for about a month now. What sort of modifications did you have to make to your house in order to telecommute? Actually, not a whole lot. Uh, my husband's been working from home since we moved to Colorado in 2012. So when we bought this house, we actually wired everything so we could plug Ethernet so we could have uh, every room was wired for internet connection. So I just got the pleasure of taking over what was the basement office space while he sits upstairs in the converted bedroom and gets to look out nice windows. <laughs> I look at the bottom of the deck. But, you know, so there wasn't a whole lot we had to do because we had monitors. We had everything I needed to hook my computer up. And, you know, I had the ability to be wired and, and everything. So the most I needed was for um, our IT department to put the VPN access on my desktop. And you go into the office once a week to gather up the mail and bring it home to process? Uh, some of the stuff I actually just process it there because uh, nobody, we're kind of making sure that there's only one of us that's going to be at the office at any point in time. And we're closed off from the rest of the building. So one of us will go in and uh, do what we need to do. So there's somebody that's kind of putting stuff on my desk when they're in there. And then I just process any checks and payments that come through and kind of put the paperwork together with the case files and stuff. And then if there's things that I can bring home, I will do that just for any payments. It works better to, to leave them there because then finance has to actually go and deposit them. Liz, do you have staff who are teleworking and answering calls from court users? How does that work? In fact, we do, and it works very easily here in Oregon because we uh, have electronic records for our court system. So although we have very few people doing this, we do have some people that have call-only phones that were distributed from our central technology division who are able to answer general questions using their VPN and using our electronic case management system to answer questions as if they were here. They're not able to take payments, even credit card payments, because we want those transactions happening with the frontline staff who are still here. But they can do everything else. It's very possible. The reason we haven't assigned a lot of people to do that is because most of the call volume can be handled by those critical staff who are still doing the few paper filings that self-represented litigants are doing, 
as well as the emergency protective orders. So most of the call volume is being handled by the folks that are here, but certainly we have folks at home that can also help with that. Zanel, you mentioned that you are negotiating with the union about teleworking. Can you elaborate on how the negotiations are going? So it's going very well. Like I said, our contracts have the provision. It's just that we've never had to use it to this magnitude. So what type of work can be done trying to assess who has appropriate equipment, ordering equipment if need be, because we our first priority is to make sure we're working from court-issued equipment. And then setting those individuals up to go ahead and do it and to have a way that we know that the work is getting done. So definitely a very hands-on, um, ongoing conversation. Mike, did you have to negotiate with the union before implementing teleworking? Well, Peter, we're really early into the process. I think there's a very strong desire on the part of the union and some of its employees in this new world to uh, do everything possible to avoid physical contact or coming into the office. And so uh, I think our challenge will simply be assessing their capabilities from home and then figuring out how we can reorganize the workflow process so that they can conduct their hearings either telephonically or through some type of system like Skype or, uh, or something similar. Mark, now here's a question that I know many court administrators around the country are interested in. How do you supervise multiple employees who are teleworking? How do you know that they're all doing an adequate job? Well, to answer this question, I reached out to some of my colleagues around the state here who uh, have a bit more experience with teleworking. It really boils down to just trusting that the employees are doing a good job. Uh, we, we have some very dedicated staff. We also are, we operate many of us branch courthouses. So it's not unusual for a supervisor to be physically distant from those who they're supervising, which is really not that much different from that. People who have a bit more of a formalized process have agreements that employees are required to fill out before they can begin teleworking. Some require the submission of work plans at the end of every week or the end of every month, let's say, to detail the work that they've done. And, and it's not that difficult for us to check on work product, so just to see what, what's actually being accomplished. Liz, how are you supervising teleworking staff in Eugene? It's pretty straightforward. Our management team has regular contact with the individuals who are teleworking to make sure that they understand what their assignments are and that they're being accomplished. But in addition to that, because we have electronic case management systems and most of what our teleworking employees are doing is handling our workflows and our cues, we can easily see if those assigned cues are being cleared and the casework being handled appropriately. So it's easy to see if the work is being accomplished and then just having those regular conversations. And as Mark mentioned, really a lot of trust for people working out in the telework environment because Oregon, in our rules, we do have a telework agreement, but because of the speed that we've had to launch this, our telework agreement that we have with employees here in Oregon doesn't really apply to this situation. It's far too complicated. So we've kind of let that go by the wayside in the meantime and just done more assignments and trusting like Mark was talking about. Dorothy, how are you supervising teleworking staff in New Jersey? 
We have a few reports that detail the use of various case management systems using employee login identification. The report also identifies the various tasks performed daily. Supervisors conference with their teams via conference systems and phones. We have video conferencing meetings regularly. We also submit We Communicate Now more than before. Rick, have you taken preventative measures to stop hackers, malware, and ransomware? Well, Pete, this is a significant concern for us in Pennsylvania since several of our large jurisdictions did experience a cyber attack within the past year. At the present, administrators do access our case management systems through our network, which has its firewall and a pretty uh, stringent firewall to boot. But to date, we have had success, but we have to be vigilant and always seek out these most effective protective measures that we can apply. Our county IT departments, which are under the county executive in most jurisdictions, they have to remain proactive as well, especially now with most of the county employees working remotely in addition to the court employees, if they're working at all. But one other concern besides cyber attacks that we have is access. And as mentioned uh, by others on the call today, our courts IT departments or the county IT departments providing enough bandwidth for as many court employees and users to have access to either our case management systems or the means of filing pleadings with a court office? That seems to be the big question. And in Pennsylvania, I think this is ongoing with varied degrees of success across the Commonwealth. Angie, are you seeing any endpoint yet to your teleworking? I've been asked to kind of come uh, up with a re-entry plan for us. Uh, we don't currently have a date when we will have to go back. Uh, when it was initially put out, Town Hall had closed all buildings until May 1st. So that's a possibility, but they also ended school for the rest of the year. So now the kids are out until June. So it's kind of like, well, I can't really go back to work and watch a child at the same time because all the daycares follow the school schedule. So if school's closed, the daycares are closed. So it's kind of added a level of difficulty to everything um, with how everything is going, but we're definitely trying to come up with a plan of some sort. Okay. <laughs> so we're, we're, I we're hear one of the challenges out. in the background. <laughs> um, just trying to figure out what we're going to do. Um, my current first court dates are scheduled for June trying to figure out what's going to happen with social distancing. I know that the town manager issued a statement today that said that once we do go back, everybody will have to be wearing a mask at any point that you're in a public space. And kind of how our office is set up, um, we'd have to have a mask on at all times. So we don't really know what it's going to look like uh, if the governor extends the stay at home, kind of be a moot point in terms of when we go back and what we have to do. Let me ask you our usual final question. What lesson did you learn this week about managing the crisis? Mark, how about you? Well, as, as it relates to this uh, topic that we've been talking about today in relation to teleworking, I think the biggest issue we've had to address, actually two, one is what some others have mentioned is making sure the employees have the adequate capacity to work from home. We, we don't have sufficient numbers of equipment that we could give every employee a laptop, let's say, and have them uh, all of a sudden just take it home and start working from home. 
The other thing I would like to point out, I think that some of us have struggled with is just the inherent inequities of teleworking. Um, you know, let's face it, there are some uh, jobs or tasks that are just more amenable to doing that. So trying to balance that with uh, all of the staff who are now being asked to telework, I think has been a big challenge for me and some of my colleagues. Liz, how about for you? Well, I think Mark really said it best. I think balancing the inequities of jobs that are capable and appropriate for teleworking versus the need for work, especially in Oregon where we are mimicking the executive branch and unable to provide paid time off for employees has been a real challenge. In addition to that, more recently and in the last week, the lesson has been that our workload has dropped precipitously. So while we're now, I think, in a situation where we have enough hardware and enough capacity to telework, to do work, now the workload is dropping. So we're back to the equity question about where can we assign work and how do we assign it? Mike, what was the lesson learned for you? Well, I think the continuing lesson is how difficult reopening is going to be. It is not going to be the classic throw the switch on and open the doors and come on in. And I think that's what's going to continue to push efforts towards telecommuting, teleworking, non-physical access. So I think how we restore services at a time of social distancing and people needing to wear face masks and controlling the flow of the public into our court facilities is going to continue to stretch us because we're likely to be closed for another month. But we're already seeing increased pressure to begin to restore some level of services. How do we do that effectively? Zanel? So this week, not so much the teleworking for the court employees has come up. What's really been interesting is the teleworking for those who are our partners, whether it's the county clerk who are accessing court records, whether it's a contractor who's doing business for courts. How do we feel about those people working remotely and then making sure that we have the necessary safety guards there because they're not directly our employees. We have a contract with them, but we realize that we still have to make sure that the public is protected in the way that we would do it if it's our own employees as well. So going through some of those challenges have been what's been on my plate for this week. Rick, how about for you? Pete, I, I think it's what everyone has said so far, particularly uh, Liz and, and Mark regarding employees. I, I think uh, the next step in the progression when we're talking about teleworking and not having enough telework is the next step, which is the awful step to think about, and that's furloughs. And we have been confronted with that in Pennsylvania, as, as some other courts have across the country. And some of those folks that... Uh, unfortunately, that are being furloughed or at least asked to take leave if they want to remain uh, paid um, causes us probably the most heartburn and the most heartache because these individuals that, that we're speaking of in, in many instances in our trial courts are those that are the lowest paid as well and they desperately need those checks and now the county executive is ask the courts to say, well, we're not going to pay them. And it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow at this time. Dorothy, how about for you this week? 
This week, I was reminded of the need to exercise empathy and to consider the impact that COVID-19 and the quarantine has on staff, both personally and their families. I make sure to inquire and listen as staff express how they are doing and feeling. I've learned kindness goes a long way. Angie, how about you? I think for me right now, it's just the challenge of trying to think about how we do open up and what that's going to look like. Um, the area that I have set aside for court in terms of like the prosecutor's office and the waiting area and such is not conducive to social distancing. And so how do we have this you know, set up in any way to make it uh, work? And being the only court employee, you know, it's like trying to figure out how this is going to work and have my ideas and suggestions heard when there's not anybody else that's in the building that, you know, really necessarily cares about what court does in terms of, you know, how it, it functions and such. So, you know, just kind of coming up with those ideas and having those uh, heard and listened to and just knowing that there are going to be people that won't want to come to court because they don't want to be exposed and you know, just having that whole process just work. Once again, I want to thank Angie, Mike, Liz, Mark, Zanell, Dorothy, and Rick today for sharing how their courts are working with staff to battle the coronavirus crisis. I also again want to thank all of you court professionals out there listening to this podcast and who continue to keep the courts running every day. We all greatly appreciate what you are doing. Zanell Brown's court, the third judicial circuit court in Michigan, has new safety protocols and recommendations to protect employees during state of emergency operations. These protocols are posted in the additional resources section on the podcast webpage. Join us next Thursday, April 30th, as we continue our conversation with our guests. Remember, if you have a question about how the courts are coping with the coronavirus, email us at podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. We'll try to answer your question on a future episode. This has been the Court Leader Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer. And thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests and the National Association for Court Management, have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.